So, what informs us, forms us. And man, is this, is this real now? So, what, where you get your info can shape you. What informs us, forms us. And we have to believe that there is a story that we are supposed to be in, and it's a story that makes us bigger. And because of that, it's making us bigger every day. The story is bigger than us. Um, and we're in it. And what do we do about it? So, uh, hey, I don't know if this will work. Let's see if it does. I uh, wanted to start it with this. Parachute situation, heat shield, angle of trajectory in the typhoon. It's just some of the variables I'm a little I know what the problems are, Henry. It'll be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. One of my favorite movies. Apollo 13, one of my favorite scenes. And what I love about that scene is the way when the flight commander, the head of NASA, who was overseeing all of it, stepped in and said, well, gentlemen, I think this is going to be our finest hour. And he had this resolve to him and this look, and the other ones were just like, okay. I don't know how we're going to roll all that in. We're going to try. Last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar. And we talked about his pridefulness. And we talked about how with all the warnings that he'd gotten from God and all the second chances and all the moments that he stepped in and was so close to having a relationship with God, but it was only superficial and so it was only temporary. With all that, he hadn't learned anything. He gets this warning from Daniel, as he interpreted his dream, that, look, your kingdom is it's basically a house of cards, and it can come crashing down at any time. And then on top of that, he gave him 12 months to figure it out. God did. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar is walking on his balcony, his terrace, wherever it is. He's overlooking his kingdom, and he's really proud of himself. And I'll paraphrase what he says, but he basically said, I did this. I built this mighty kingdom. There's nobody greater than me. And the moment that those words came out of his mouth, God's promise to him that he showed him in the dream came true, and Daniel lost his mind, became like an animal, and was chained basically in a cage for seven years until Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar came back and uh, to his senses and acknowledged the one true God. And, and in that message last week, I shared you my thoughts on the morning of, of September 11th in 2001. It was a beautiful day, and I, I got out of my truck as I was going to go into the Y, and I, I literally thought to myself and had this little conversation, like, there is nothing that can go wrong with us right now. We were uh, a family of two. Emma was a baby, a baby baby, just born in, in March. We just moved into, uh, or getting in the process of moving into our next home. And, you know, I married well above my head. God had put me on all these adventures. Things were good. And then it changed. It changed. And it's kind of like what we're dealing with now. Whether it's the hype whether it's the reality, whatever it is, 
We're dealing with it. So how are we going to deal with it? So here we are. So what now? In uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, and I really would like you to, uh, for the context of this, we don't have time today, but I'd I, I really encourage you, since you, know, you don't have a lot to do and you're not supposed to go out, uh, take a moment and read 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 and uh, see where we're at on this. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, on behalf of God, speaking for God, issues a challenge to Ahab, the king, and his gods. Now, Ahab started off, and he was one of God's people, but uh, his son, who was, you know, the word says in, in 1 Kings, said that his son was the most evil of anybody around to date. I mean, he was just a terrible person. And uh, he started to worship a pagan god, Ahab started to worship a pagan god. God's not having it. God says, Elijah, go down and challenge him. See whose god is better, right? So Ahab accepts the challenge. God wins. I'm not giving justice to this story, so that's why I want you to read it. But after God wins, Ahab is not having any of it. And he wants Elijah dead. And Elijah, having had God speak to him directly having proclaimed the word of God and with confidence tore down pagan gods and a king. Hundreds of his prophets were killed in this, this situation, in this sequence. With all that that should be inspiring confidence and all this, Elijah is generally shook. And that's what brings us to this. See that's up there? Yeah. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, here's what I want to get at. This is coming off of the biggest, the biggest victory that Elijah has been a part of as God's prophet that he's ever seen. I think the number was somewhere around 450 of Ahab's prophets or whoever they were were killed in this battle. The battle's amazing. And there's a little swag going on with Elijah in the battle because the whole thing was the God who wins will decide it by fire. And so when it got to uh, Elijah's time... He said, take your, uh, take your false gods and douse them with water. Do it again. And he's sitting there going like, go ahead, soak them. Soak them in water. They're still going to go up in flames. And they did. So it should have been a moment where Elijah's going like, hey, we got this. God's got me. He's in charge. But here we have Jezebel. Jezebel doing the dirty work for Ahab, which is probably not a good sign if you're a king. Jezebel says, I tell you what, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as all these guys. And Ahab runs, and he is shook. Faith and confidence can so easily be shaken, if only slightly, only the slightest bit, if we allow our adversary or our circumstance or our issue or our problem get in between us and our God who saves our faith and our confidence will be shaken, even if it's slightly, if we allow 
what we are facing to get in the line of sight between the God that we know can save us. And we start with that clip from Apollo 13. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is Jim Lovell's at a barbecue in his backyard. He's just been tabbed to go to the moon. He's been waiting for this. And as his friends and his guests are gathered to have a good time, there's a social time going on. There's no social distancing. They're really close to one another. He looks up, and from his Texas backyard, there is a large, giant full moon. And he looks at it. you got to think, you, you have to feel for him. He, he, this is a dream come true for him. He's been pushing for this. He wants to be that astronaut. He wants to go to the moon, and he does something Puts his thumb up, and he moves it, and there's the moon. Closes one eye, and he moves the thumb in front of the moon, and the moon disappears. Just that easy. And we know that the moon didn't disappear. We knew that it was still there. But you can easily block out. There's my wife. There she is. Now she's gone. Stay with me. Sometimes the in-between blocks out the big picture. Sometimes what we allow to inform us forms us. Sometimes we can't see the moon on account of our own thumb is in the way. It's going to happen to all of us. I think it's happened to all of us in some sense in the last couple of weeks. But regardless, it's going to happen to all of us. It's going to happen again. There will be something that blocks. I don't care what it is. Health, finances, relationships. There's going to be something that looks so intimidating and so big that it can block out what you know to be true. And in those times, in times like these, it is, it is critical for us to go back first, that's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to go back first and remember all the things that God has done. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, to Moses. When Joshua says, I want you to remember what you said to him and apply it to me. All those things. When, when we get shook, and we've all been shook, It's hard to look forward sometimes. So maybe look backwards. And remember all that God has done, all that he has promised, all that he has made good of his word for. Because here I want to give you this little bit of advice. And this is going to sound, I don't know, you may not like this. But every one of us in here has at this point survived the absolute worst day of our lives. And there's a reason for that. Because he's not done with us. Because we're still here. And when we have those times, it's critical for us to remember all that God has done so that we can hold that. Steve was so perfect in his song today. I don't know where you'll take me, but I know you're always good. My goodness. If I had a mantra, that should be it. Remember that God is faithful. Remember what God has done. Because with God, and like with so much of us, Past is precedent. If God was with you then, even in the hardest of times, there's no reason for us to doubt that he'll be with us now. 
So here's Elijah. He's afraid and he's depressed. How do I know that? Because in the verses following this, Elijah asked God to end his life. Just go ahead and stop it. I don't, I, I don't want to. He's feeling the pressure. We've all been there to some degree. I don't want this anymore. I can't do this. Take it from me. Even if it's the most critical way of taking, even if it's the most extreme way of taking, this is where Elijah is, and I think it's so important. Look. I want you to embrace the fact that it is okay to be scared and to be tired and just to want it to stop. Because we see Elijah doing this. Elijah is afraid and he, he's depressed and he asks God to end his life. And so here's what God does. God sends an angel to Elijah. And what does the angel tell Elijah? Get up and eat. Now the way I read it, Elijah ran into this cave. He didn't bring any provisions. He had not one roll of toilet paper. I don't know how he thought he was going to weather this storm. And when the angel came to give Elijah God's message and his affirmation, he says, get up and eat. And miraculously, ta-da, there's a jug of water and there's a cake. They said it was baked on hot stones. That wasn't Elijah providing for Elijah. That was God providing for Elijah. So God provided the food and the water. And in that cave, Elijah quarantined himself for 40 days. He's in there for 40 days. He's getting right with himself. And every day, then when he needed it, the angel would come, get up, here's your food, get up, here's your food. So then we go to verse 9. All right. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the people, for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So here's Elijah answering this question. But he doesn't answer the question. He tells them why he's in the cave. He tells them why he's afraid. He makes a really, I mean, the contradictory here says, these guys are trying to take my life, so I ran into this cave and I asked you to take my life. I had the right one here. There we go. And he said, this is God speaking to him. Go out and stand on the mountain, on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here? I'll give you the rest of it. That's terrible. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because I stands on the mountain, wind comes. Nothing. Mountain gets torn up. Nothing. Whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? And that's so like you, God. That's so like you. To pose a question when all we want is an answer. But in times like these, God doesn't try to outshout the chaos. He whispers. Then he asks a very simple question. What are you doing here? But here's the trick. We have to be still enough. We have to still ourselves to the point where we're able to hear a whisper. And that's really hard. Because it is freaking loud out there, isn't it? I mean, it's loud all over the place. Elijah is afraid and fear is loud. And fear draws our attention to other things and away from the important things. So when the Bible says, fear not, it says it about 365 times in the Bible, which is really cool, because last time I checked, unless we have a freaky February, there's 365 days. A fear not for every one of the days that we go through in a year. He's not talking about, and the Bible is not talking about, the emotion of fear. We all have that. We all have things that, that make us a little afraid. And we need to get past the myth that because we're Christians, we should never be afraid. He's not talking, the Bible is not talking about the emotion of fear. It's talking about our devotion to fear. Because sometimes fear is that thumb that gets right in between your line of sight and the God who is bigger than your fear. And if it stays there long enough, we start to worship that fear. Whenever the Bible tells someone to fear not, chances are they're already afraid. You ever, figure, you ever think that? It's like it's not preemptive. Hey, things are about to get really, really bad. Don't be afraid. No, God comes to them when things are in the midst of just being chaos and saying, I got this, fear not. So when the Bible tells someone to fear not, chances are they're already feeling that emotion. And they're already having that adrenaline of fear. Nobody in their right mind got up three weeks ago and said, I'm going to go buy 840 rolls of toilet paper today. Nobody did. But it was fear that drove them. And that fear sat in there long enough to the point where they said, well, I need to get some toilet paper. Why is that? 
Why is it that when it's a snowstorm, we go get eggs and milk and bread and make French toast? And when it's a virus, we just think we're going to spend all of our hours on the pot. All of it's fear. Doesn't matter what the object is. When was the last time we had a real winter storm warning come through Greensburg? You would think that we were going, we were like Paul Ingalls on the plains. We're not going to be out of the house for six months. Fear. It drives us. The adrenaline of fear drives us. Elijah was feeling it. We, to whatever degree we are, we're feeling it right now. So, to go on in the chapter, what does Elijah do with it after God tells him this? He goes back to work. God tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue doing what I told you to do. I want you to go pray and prophesy to people. I want you to anoint people. We, we, the business is still the business. I want you to go. So here's the point. The occasion of fear gives us a choice. Will we allow fear, and we will, will we allow our fear to be the thing that makes us settle for disobedience? Here's what I mean. Here's the disobedience. There is some non-Christ-like things being posted by people who say they are followers of Christ on social media. It's all over the place. There's a scripture in Ephesians that says, no, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And we, we, you have to justify Well, they said it first. Why is it that we, we've transgressed back to be eight-year-olds all of a sudden? Why did you say that? Well, he said it first. I've, I've seen that. You've seen that. That's disobedience. It's really easy for us to get to a tipping point where all this makes us go, me first. Me first. That's why somebody in, was it Tennessee or Kentucky, has 7,200 bottles of hand sanitizer? Because he was going to gouge somebody? I got the numbers wrong, probably. Anything over four bottles of hand sanitizer, you've probably got too much. You're not supposed to bathe in it. Okay, but we, the worst angels of our nature and the best angels of our nature come out in times like these. And our fear can drive us to be disobedient to what God has told us to be. Love your neighbors, love your enemies, take care of widows and orphans and the saints, quit, you know, all these things. Will you allow your fear to make you settle for disobedience or and then settling for that disobedience, giving into that fear, attacking one another, selfish self-preservation, or will it become the setting of faith in a sovereign and good God? Will you trust God in this? I'm going to tell you this. If you can't trust God to provide for you now, to get us through this mess, why, why would we even come back for Easter and think that this God could save us from our sins? If you can't trust him to give you something to wipe your butt with, why would you ever think you could trust him to save your butt? 
That was a great line. It's not on. It's not on here. You you'll remember that one. That's the only one that'll be remembered right there. So, you know why God is always telling us to fear not. You know why He says fear not in three hundred sixty-five verses in the Bible. Do you know why He refused to go to? Elijah and shout so loud. Do you know why God refuses to outshout the chaos? You know why? Ready? It's not really a deep answer. Because he knows how the story ends. Look, God's not sitting in heaven going, huh, coronavirus. I didn't see that coming. Crying out loud, it's been on the back of a Lysol can for how many years now? It says right there, can treat the coronavirus. Think somebody would have picked up on that along the way. But there's never a moment where God looks down and goes, I have no idea. There's a, there's a drastic shortage of toilet paper. No, he doesn't look down and go, man, that really took me off guard. I don't know what I'm doing. You know why? Because he knows how the story ends. Small word alert coming up. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then there's this word here I love, selah. Selah. It's a music, musical term. You know what it means? Breathe. Pause. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. Come behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. you peg or pin or whatever you need to do Psalm 46 what I just read because I want you to know something when he starts talking about this city the city of God is not something that's in the future the city of God is here now the city of God is not something that is walled off and it's exclusive and programmed. The city of God is where the presence of God is. And therefore, with the help of God available, with the presence of God available, when we are in the presence of God, we are in the presence of the help that comes from only God. And guess what? God's church, not this church, his church, any church, God's church the ones that follow him, God's church is God's city. 
And that's what's going to stay. This church isn't going to be shaken. Might be rocked a little bit. It's not going to be torn down. I, I take that back. Church can be shaken. But here's the thing. I don't care if it's a virus. I don't care if it's the Board of Health, the Governor, the President of the United States, the Grand Poobah, the Royal Water Buffaloes. I don't care who it is. You can't cancel church. Yeah, you can decide you're not going to meet on a given day in a building. But you can't cancel church. They can only hope to contain it. And, and trust me, that's what the enemy has in mind with all this going on. Let's let the church not be the church. Let's contain the church. But you can't contain the church. You know why? Because you're here. Because you're rebels. Because you're like, hey, coronavirus, forget you, pal. I'm going out. Whatever it is. But guess what? You are the church. You are the city of God. You are the thing that the river of God flows through and will not be moved. You are the church. And the church is the vessel of our greatest hope. I'm not going to get political in these messages because I hate politicians. And I'll stop saying I hate politicians when I find one that actually has the best. I, honestly, I think the last time character integrity was in Washington, D.C. is when Frank Capra yelled, cut, to Jimmy Stewart when Mr. Smith went to Washington. I think that was it. I'm not going to rely on the government to save me. Because we are not subjects, but we are the family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. We are the church and we are the vessel of hope. And we have been for a long time. We just haven't been doing it. So we can't let the roar of fear distract us from the whisper of God. Don't allow this crisis to make you forget who you are and whose you are. little DYA. DYI tip, just a you know, in a humor moment. Look, if you're worried about toilet paper, think about how many mismatched socks you have. That was free. You're welcome. You're welcome. But look, let's not kid ourselves, okay? And wait for things to get back to normal. Things are not going to be normal ever again. It'll be the new normal. I've done marriage counseling for couples. I've done at least three where this has come up, where we're just doe-eyed. Somebody looks at you and goes, we just want things to get back to the way they were. To which, in all my grace and compassion and people person that I am, and you know that, look at them and go, no you don't! Because the way things were are exactly why we are here right now. So this is a great opportunity. I don't want us to get back to normal. You've seen it. I've seen people on Facebook and say, hey, look, post this. If you got somebody that can't get out and do an errand, let me know. If you need kids to need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a brown paper sack, let me know. We weren't doing that before, were we? We should be doing it now. 
I'm not saying this because I love some educators and count them as dear friends. And it's not a slam on education. But you know what? When I see people get all worried about, well, if we cancel school, how are these kids going to eat? I don't know. How are you going to eat? You can make a sandwich, right? Then make two. Find somebody who doesn't have it. Quit getting, we're already in quarantine. We're already in isolation. That's the problem. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And if you know my brother, you know why that rings true. And he's mine. And we're in this. But you're my brothers and sisters. It should be. It should be the way it's always worked, so let's get it back the way it always should have been. Let's not go back to the way things were. We've been out here trying to out-Republican or out-Democrat or out-world or out-Jesus one another for so long, and all we're doing is trying to shout louder than our fears. And in doing so, consciously or unconsciously, we begin to worship the fear more than we do the God who says, fear not. So, in, in, that, in that movie, Apollo 13, there's a moment when the oxygen scrubber up on the uh, module goes bad, and they're not going to be able to live. And uh, they have the engineers get together, and, and there's a scene where the guy picks up this square piece of material. He says, we need to make this square thing fit into this round thing. And all we have to work with is what they have up there. And so he dumps this, bu this box of all the stuff they had up there. He said, we can only use what we have right here. And at that point, there's no reason to grumble. And there's no reason for anybody to say, well, that's going to be impossible. It had to be done. We don't have a choice in this. We have to love our neighbors. We have to build a bridge. We have to show hope. And all we got is us. All we got is what we have. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be traditions that may be needed to be retired. It's going to be really hard for the church to realize that. There may be some traditions that may need to be retired. Most of the traditions in the church are like that couch you got from your great aunt when you first got married. And you never had the heart to throw it to the curb because you didn't want to hurt your aunt's feelings. But every time you walk by that couch in the house, you go, God, I hate that couch. Duh. Okay, guess what? Time to take the couch. It may be. Pride's going to have to be held in check. It won't be easy, but I tell you this, it won't be impossible. And here's why. Because the God who whispers, because he's not worried about trying to outshot fear, because he knows the end of the story, is still God. He's still God. So I don't know if you did this when you watched Apollo 13, but I remember sitting in the movie theater, and I was nervous and anxious as, as the uh, spoiler alert, they got back to Earth. Okay, I'm ruining the movie for you, but I'm ruining it for you because I knew the story. I was an astronaut geek growing up. I read the books. I knew about it. I knew they came back, but I'm sitting in a movie, and I'm like, oh, oh. So I thought it was really funny because I knew how the story was going to end, and I was still anxious, and I was still nervous. And guess what? We will be anxious over the next weeks, months, however long this takes. We will be anxious. We will be nervous. We will be afraid. And you know what? Sometimes we're just going to be playing ticked off. That's okay. 
Because here's what I think. Like the scene I showed you at the front. I believe that this could quite possibly be this generation's church's finest moment. If there was ever a time for revival to break out, not from preaching or not from music or not from shows or smoke or buildings or anything, but because the people of Christ imitated Christ and loved like Christ, even to those that didn't look like Christ, I think that will be the catalyst for the next great awakening. And look, since the casinos are closing down on Sunday at 6, I'm going to put my money on that right now. Boom. But it's not going to happen if you listen to the roar. If you try to outshout the fear, it's not going to happen. Faith isn't figuring out what we are able to do. Faith isn't figuring out what we're able to do. Faith is deciding what we're going to do. Even when we think we can't. So I'm going to tell you, if you want to be a part of the story, here's what the story's going to be. We're going to try to figure out ways to love people. We're going to check up on Patty and Darwin and Frankie and Rob and Lois. No, let Jeff and I do that. That's a lot to ask. Your neighbors, your friends, your folks, your tribe, your people, we're going to check on them. We're going to make an extra lunch. We're going to bite our tongue when we want to say something snooty or snappy or whatever it is to somebody about something. And we're going to get through this. And we're going to get through this better than we were before we went into it. Because I'm not going to shout. Because if I shout, I'm going to miss the whisper. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Check on each other. Quit stirring the pot on social media. Give grace. Pray often. Serve others with the heart of Christ. Back off the judging and attention-seeking for a bit. Be that city on a hill. Shout the power, grace, healing, and mercy, and restoration of Jesus Christ without saying a word. The world needs Christ now. The church is the way they'll see him. They are looking. They're looking for him. We are that city on the hill. And we were made for this moment in moments like these. Spirit fall. Church rise. Lean into the whisper of God. And be still and know. Today is National Day of Prayer. Maybe you're wrong on that. Maybe tomorrow. Sometime. Today's today? Yeah, that's what I thought. Today is the National Day of Prayer. Today is also communion. Communion is hermetically sealed and uh, handled with love and care by the Kellys. But it's up to you. If you don't want to take it, that's cool. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Then we're going to offer communion. And then I want to send you out to be the rebels that you are and love better than anybody else. But before we do that, to start our prayer, and then after we get through a point 
So Tony, I'll leave that up to you. But before we do that, just for a second, some of you came in here with battles that weren't related to the coronavirus, things that you've been struggling with for a long time, things you've been trying to shout down, figure out. For this National Day of Prayer for us, I want us to take a moment and we're just going to be still. I want you to lean into the whisper of God because he is whispering to each of you. And I want you to promise me that you're not going to be ticked off when you hear him. He says, what are you doing here? Will we still? Sue has something she wants to share. Tell me to take the communion. We'll be here till we're not. But there will be a word from the Lord somehow attached to the story. Whether you're in front of me or whether you find it on the internet, there will be, I promise you that. And I will be kicking your butt if you aren't the church that we are supposed to be. Deal?